Welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine. Today we're joined by Alex, a reviewer of the magazine, to talk about big, messy games. These games with too many components, too many rules, and we're going to talk about why we love them. We get Alex's top five messy games, talk about Kickstarter culture, as well as a little bit about co-op, a little bit about solo play. On we go. So would you like to introduce yourself um, to those listeners who don't know exactly who you are already? Uh, well, hi. Uh, my name is Alex, as has been mentioned. Uh, you may have read some of the words of the board game material that I have written in Tabletop Gaming Magazine. Uh, I have a lot of opinions. They usually come in the ways of reviews, uh, where I try to be nice and objective and all those things that good reviews should be. Uh, and I've also, you may have seen a couple of features by me. I think uh, most recent one was Dwoven in the World of Role Player series uh, and just experience, seeing how that world uh, started from one game and kind of developed through by accident and through the need into the whole series of games. And uh, I found it really fascinating. So anyway, check out, check out that... Um, Feature just because I really like that series of games and I think it's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was very good, and also as you say, it was it felt accidental how they how they got to all these <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to all these other games. Um, and uh, um, Stanislav Kordinsky, um, who did the uh, lockup, yes, Rockler lockup. Um, he he's done he's done a, a game called Rurik. Um, I don't know if you've oh, played yeah. that. Um, I have not played that, but I have heard of that. It's fab- It's fabulous, and uh, I'm currently writing about it uh, for the next issue. And it's um, yes, he's, mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's one of the smartest games I've played. Anyway, but it was, it's just nice to see a bit of connective tissue there. Um, so, but today we're not talking about um, sort of sprawling. Well, we are talking about sprawling, sprawling worlds, actually, aren't we? Yes, um, yes, we kind of are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we 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 want to talk about huge messy games with too many pieces oh boy yeah those guys so how we how are we going to define this genre of big messy games Uh, see i think the tricky part of it that there's they there's almost i think two sides from which we can come at, at it but i think the main side is your first introduction to the game because i think that's almost kind of the trickiest part whenever you open the box and you meet it. And I think there's two different sides. You can see all these components and pieces to pop up and things to assemble and get really excited because you're going to get a lot for your worth and you're going to spend a lot of time assembling the game. But sometimes it can be a little bit daunting because you just want to get into there. You just want to start playing and you and you see you're like, oh God, all this cardboard that I need to pop up and then read the rules. That is exactly where I went as well. When, when you have a very weary sigh because you've realised that the, the wadge of cardboard you've got out is all the things you're going to have to poke out. Mm. Um, and that's, that, that weary sign means that, yes, you're in the world of big, messy games with uh, lots of tokens and things like that. Yeah. It's probably important to put a little bit of a caveat that both you and me, we do a fair bit of reviews. So we I think we are more fatigued than most from kind of opening the board games because someone else has been waiting for a game for a very long time and it finally arrives and they get to open this box there's this hoo-ha moment where we are almost we could be jaded so this could be kind of 
coloring our perspective of it as well as well because we're like, oh, that's another game <laughs> to play. That doesn't doesn't mean to say that there isn't that excitement and you're also not looking forward to it. But I think there could be that element as well. I think I mean that's definitely true. And um, I mean, it's not we're not just jaded though. We've we've got bruised fingers. Oh yeah, um, from from pop, <laughs> popping out too 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 many tokens. Um, yeah, yes, I, I, think... I, I remember your email to me apologizing for giving me a game with like hundreds of dice, and I replied, "No, the other game with three thousand pieces was more." That was it. So that, from yeah. from memory, that's that's posthuman, isn't it? That's, yeah, that was posthuman. That's that's yeah, a million tokens and and all that sort of thing. And um, uh, and what was the other one? Waterdeep was it? Was it? A, yeah. Uh, it was uh, Dice Masters um, Waterdeep, their newest edition, and obviously Dice Masters. Well, this this was a core set, so it came with a, a lot of different characters. And if you've ever played Dice Masters, you know that every character ca- comes with their own set of beautiful dice. Um, so with the core set, there were quite a few characters, and therefore there were quite a few dice. I I think I'm still excited by dice, so that would that would have got me. But um, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure one day there will, there, will, there will come a point where I see a big bowl of dice and I, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm over it, but, uh, but maybe um, not. No, 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 I think, no, that's never going to happen, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and uh, so, it's, yeah, we're defining it by having loads of stuff in it, having also probably a long setup time. Yes. You're going to have to make several space. piles, a lot of table space, yes. Yes, it's a dining room table, um, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess a lot of the time they are games that are going to stay there for a while. Yeah, uh, some of them, I'm sure we will talk about some of the games on the list that would definitely benefit from them. Um, that's why a lot in, in a lot of cases, these games that I think stay on the table, they come in the kind of RPG in the box variety with campaigns, because these are the ones that you almost feel like You've taken the time to set it up and you laid it out on the table and it looks beautiful. And you've done one campaign and it almost feels like a shame to put it away knowing how long it will take you to bring it back and knowing that you kind of want to pick up right off where you stopped. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, that's how that's how I play it. I mean, that's how I end up playing a lot of these games. And um, especially if these games have a, a solo mode and I'm able to do a, a campaign mode very slowly, um, and sort of coming back to it like, I don't know, a snack that I've left on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, or something like that, um, where I'm, I'm just playing a few turns of it and then going away and doing something important and then coming back um, uh, to re-engage with it. Often that's that's when I leave these games out. But, I mean, there is uh, there is a few games that have sort of options to save and stuff like that, but but really they're they're never satisfactory, are they? Completely. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, there are a couple of games I'm trying to rack my brain where you literally could sort of put in a safe state and pack pack it in a box in a way that it remembers sort of your last turn or where you were at last. So the uh, ones I can think of are, I mean, Time Stories does that. And yes. also Seventh Continent does that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they're both they're not as messy. <laughs> yes, that, that's another thing. <laughs> uh, yes, and so yes, you can have lots of pass cards all over the place and um, maybe the board itself is going to be very big. Um, and... Yeah, I think I think that's it. And they, they, they were probably on Kickstarter these games, a lot of them. Yes. Yeah, I think that's especially probably lately. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's probably that's probably a good definition. Unless you can think of anything else that we should add in there. I also think there is with with these big 
these games, they don't only come with a lot of components, but because they sort of, the reason why they do this, they're trying to sort of be this sprawling epic things that allow the players to do a lot of things at the same time and give them this freedom almost. And because of that, almost kind of ironically, they come with quite a bit of rules. And I think sometimes it could be even messy not learning them so much, but like jumping back into them and trying to remember what all the little definitions and things happened and going through the rule books and kind of trying to grasp your, like grasp what is going on. Because, you know, some of the games, like, um, let me think of an example, um, Carcassonne. I'm I'm pretty sure you'll never forget how to play Carcassonne once you learn it the first time. Yes, it's quite right. Yeah, uh, but... Think, uh, think of a much bigger, heavier game with the stories and campaigns and the combat rules and all that kind of stuff. And suddenly you're, you may have played it two days ago, but now you're dipping back into the rulebook to just to check that one detail to make sure you're playing it right. I mean, I'll say an example of that. I one of my favourites is um, a, a game we, we featured quite recently called uh, Dungeon Degenerates, um, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, which I've I've just opened the box here before the call, so I could just sort of, in case I needed a prop or anything. Um, and uh, it's all beautiful, obviously. Um, but I've opened it and I found that the rule book is on um, on a certain section where I was clearly working out some of the <laughs> overland travel rules uh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, before I last packed it away. Do you know what? Dungeon to Generous is almost one of those games. If I didn't have to review it, I'm not sure I would have gotten through the rule book. I found it intensely frustrating. It, it is in parts, like, yes, but then I, I think that's the heart of it, of what we're hopefully coming to here, which is once you're in, though, um, yeah. it's the, the, the value of it or the, 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 uh, what it gives you back um, yeah. is really satisfying. Exactly. And yeah, so I guess we're talking about like hard to learn games as well. And that's a big part of this, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So shall we shall we move on to the and talk about where they come from? Um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think a lot of them come from Kickstarter. Um, and you, again, I think you can look for it for two sides. And there's definitely two sides to argue. One is, I think, big flashy games with lots of components and miniatures they do well on kickstarter but at the same time the game of that complexity also get to shine on kickstarter and find their audience so there's a balance between here's this really heavy big component heavy um game that's really trying to do something fun and interesting and um it, it found its audience who are looking for exactly that kind of thing. And here's this game who's got all these fancy components and miniatures just because it knows that's what's attractive on your screen while you're scrolling it catches your attention. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there is there's, yeah, there's a couple of sides to the whole, the whole Kickstarter thing there. And, and yeah, as you say, it's very attractive to people. And also, I think Kickstarter is kind of a... Um, because you're not getting the game for a long time often... Yeah, uh, it's a like an aspirational platform. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, I would really like to play a huge adventure. I'd like to be the kind of person who can play, <laughs> who can who can mm-hmm. set aside um, eight hours to play a huge campaign or um, 
uh, to, to a huge ball game with um, eight of my friends and be this again for only eight people, for example, or it's, you know, it's got 400 miniatures or something like that. Um, I think there's an element of that where people sort of engage with that part of their brain uh, mm. and they, they want the thing that um, speaks to like this, this gaming experience, which uh, is actually like, quite hard to arrange often. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and so I think that's one part of it. And then the other part is, yeah, as you, as you say, the, the stuff, you know, uh, people want stuff for their money, um, fairly. And uh, the, the games that, you know, seem to offer the most, obviously, are kind of the best value in lots of ways. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think maybe intrinsically, stretch goals are a thing that lead to games. They lead to games that have this kind of bloat occasionally. And occasionally... You know, they're just these wonderful messes that we love. Do you, do you think that's right, or do you, do you think there's other other causes from Kickstarter? No, I, th- I think I think that's pr- pretty correct. And uh, one thing that I I would add, some the I, there is a tendency to kind of this almost kind of excitement that people are interested in, people are backing to, that gets put into stretch goals, which are additions upon additions and sometimes you see a game and you clearly see you can spot it in the design where the stretch goal meets the game because it's a cool idea but it doesn't quite work yeah um so you can spot it right there um but sometimes actually very interestingly and not a few kickstarters done it and i think it's kind of brave but i've seen a couple that went our stretch goal is improving on the component quality of this. We're just going to do better cards, better sleeve. This beautiful book is now even more beautiful. And and that's all there is. And and that that is also quite interesting because at the end of the day, you are getting, I don't want to say luxury because that's just kind of sounds weird, but it's, it feels more, Kickstarter feels more made kind of for you because you've unlocked these things and they've created a board game that is even more beautiful than originally you saw this beautiful thing on the screen if that makes any sense yes exactly yeah um yes this sort of variability is i think one of the reasons kickstarter does sometimes get like a bit of a negative and maybe it maybe i'm immediately being negative as well because i do actually think the stuff that comes out of kickstarter is really clever uh, often mm. and often it's a great place for as you say um creators to find uh, an audience that they didn't really they weren't really sure existed i think that's that's kind of wonderful that uh, yeah seeing having seen that variability between the ones where it's adding mechanics versus adding kind of quality uh, mm-hmm. both are dangerous actually <laughs> in terms of making a okay. game <laughs> um, <laughs> you know you, you 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 could be in a position where um people accept a quality that you as a designer might not accept um because yeah. they're just like yeah it's cool that's fine um, and they, you know, people might not necessarily know the difference between the, the product quality that they're getting, um, mm-hmm. and that will affect their 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 sort of enjoyment of the thing. Because obviously, it's it's very difficult. I think we borrow our review language often from like maybe new games journalism, possibly mm-hmm. as sort of like a, a baseline. Um, so we borrow that a lot, but we we're also like um, reviewing physical products often, and that you know analog aspect of how does it feel and how all that sort of stuff is actually part of the experience, even if it's not something we you know, focus on particularly. And so, yeah, there does, there does, there does seem to be a slight, slight danger there in that, in that. But still aspirational. And it, and we do get these weird games out of it. 
<laughs> uh, which we like. So we've got that, and then the, the other aspect that might lead us to these games existing is is partly because of Kickstarter, but the the RPG in a box. Um, yeah. yeah. Is it all Gloomhaven's fault? <laughs> oh, I th- I th- I think there were ga- the big big games before Gloomhaven, honestly, but um, I don't know. Don't you think? As much as we love Gloomhaven, and I'm sure we will talk about it a bit later, wink, wink. But um, I think it almost kind of turned maybe many people away just because of the amount of stuff. And people started thinking of the more compact way to do this. And I feel like almost um, all these narrative apps uh, that Lord of the Rings, the Middle Earth is using, and Oathsworn... um, is going to use that they kind of were introduced to mitigate what Gloomhaven had to face in the first instance, that it packed so much that it was so heavy that other designers stopped and wait. Well, we want to have the same depth. We want to have the same amount of lore and storytelling, if not more. But what do we do to condense the stuff? Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, uh, I did. I did actually in the wild see someone um, on on my own Twitter account, not the tabletop gaming one. Um, <laughs> I saw a very normal person who I didn't know played board games at all or anything like that. Um, suddenly, post a screenshot of of the Gloomhaven board where I think they were. Um, uh, I think there was something like uh, there's a bunch of skeletons and some NPCs and their player characters and stuff like that. And they said they were just exhausted having to move around everyone. Um, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's, there's a, a genuine fatigue in, in sort of managing yeah. this stuff. And that's why that compression that we talk about has to come in somewhere. Um, yeah. But then that's kind of the simulationist end of things that we quite like, actually. Mm. Um, and that's that comes to this point that I wanted to make up, and we talked about earlier, and before the call, of um, something that I, I, I learned from um, uh, Sean Ortberg, who's the creator of Dungeon Degenerates, um, now he he said he felt like this game was kind of a, a version of a, a role playing video game to him. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to give people the options to do these all these weird things in kind of as much fidelity as possible. And so, so I think a lot of these games are, are trying in some ways to um, sort of recreate a video game feeling on in an analog, you know, medium. Um, and I wonder what you what you thought about that. Whether that's something you you feel people are trying to emulate. Well, there's definitely a connection, um, and a connection that I think has been, you know, it's been there for a very long time, and it's kind of growing stronger. We're thinking of all the uh, video game franchises coming to board games, and board games being developed into video games. There's always there's always been an exchange here and there. And I think um, in a lot of ways, if you think these are the industries that are so closely connected that people get instantly inspired of, of, of each other. I mean, for instance, and kind of jumping back for a second to uh, what we started with, which was my um, feature on the role player, mm-hmm. um, Keith. Um, who was the creator of Roleplayer, he worked in the video game industry before. Mm-hmm. And he worked on video games that were involved with character creation. And what Roleplayer essentially became is a character creation in a board game form, um, which had inspirations from his video game days and obviously had the links to D&D. So I think it's, it is all interconnected. And 
I think it's actually quite ambitious trying to translate a video game RPG into board game form. And there's a lot of interesting ways to do that as well. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously some are more successful than others. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, there's something really admirable about someone trying to create a, um, a uh, like, maybe like an experience system or something like that that mirrors in some way the experience systems you have in um, video mm-hmm. games or, um, you know, like item management and stuff like that. Um, there are, there's, there's sometimes, you know, there are ways that you expect analog games to handle those things you know you don't have an you don't have an inventory you have a hand of cards for example yeah um but some games ignore that and try and emulate the um <laughs> the, the, the video game version of it and it comes out kind of funny and interesting um and i think that's what these these games are all about is, is that funny and interesting aspect yeah um so Shall we, shall we do your shall we do your top five? Oh, let's do that yeah. of messy messy games great The Tabletop Gaming Game Store is open and dispatching orders worldwide. Visit www.tabletopgaming.co.uk to read the reviews and buy the games directly from us. We should we should start from number five uh, and go up. Um, one thing before number five that I, I would like to say because uh, the game that you keep been mentioning um, has actually made it on the list, but I actually didn't think it was that messy, which is Dungeon Degenerates. But it's definitely oh. one of my uh, the games that I really really like, um, and I've enjoyed playing it loads. Mm. And it is quite big, and as we talked about, um, you know, it's got. It, it's trying to emulate that video game RPG feeling, but I don't know. To me, it didn't didn't sound too messy. Like, did you did you feel like it was messy, even with the rules and with the setup? Oh, it was really it was really the rules, and then also um, so the way Dungeon Degenerates work for for people at home is that it has a, there's a sort of um, oh, I forgot the term for it. I have to look at the rule book. Um, <laughs> there's there's a thing uh, kind of like a threat level. Um, mm-hmm. or a doom level in every area of the game. Yeah, and so. Uh, after each action, or the beginning of each t- each of your turns or rounds, um, you draw a card, and that gives you um, an indication of where the threat level is going up or down, and and what happens nearby you as well. So every time you take a turn, something in the world changes, and you have to swap a token somewhere. Um, maybe you have to change the state of something around you, and that might encourage an encounter, which encourages another thing to happen. Um, and then you you check that. I think you have to do a check of that level. And see if anywhere's hit a certain yeah. threshold, because that will make, that will mean something else happens involving um, there's like the, the police as well. That's a different threat level that goes up and down. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so it's things like that that kind of like um, yeah, you draw one card and have to do seven things to the world state. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's that kind of messiness. It is me. it is a very evolving board. You set it up one way, and by the time you're done with it, it's it's changed. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. I love it. Um, yeah. That's, that's why I felt it was like kind of messy. And um, yeah, I think, again, yeah, it's, pro- it's probably a lot of it to do with the um, the, the rules and things like um, uh, using voids. And because you, you can go into the void and yeah. appear somewhere else if you've opened oh, yeah. two, I think. Um, <laughs> but, um, 
but you know that's just one of the ways you can travel and but you might lose sanity doing that um and uh yeah, and then yeah all, the, if, all the items if you the get the name of the game doesn't give it away it's it's <laughs> that game is neon cuckoo craziness but in amazing ways but yes <laughs> yes yeah i mean and and yeah as i say the overland travel as well you know you can move one way down the river you can only go downstream right uh, yep. and you know, just things things like that where you do you do just have to go back to the rules and go, okay, where am I? What am I doing now? Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh the difference between doing normal foot travel and a forced march. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. the, the two statuses you can have uh, you can you can be in like an, it's like an aggressive state and then like a defensive or a sneaky state. Yeah, because that <laughs> that determines your kind of combat whether you are more uh defensive or attacking if you need someone else. Exactly, that's it. Yeah, um, yeah. and so you have all these these interesting little street, strategic decisions that are like flicking, like it's like having um, a keyboard with um, about two thousand buttons on them, and none of them are labelled particularly. <laughs> um, but you, you learn that you have to press all these each turn, yeah. uh, and it does do something quite pleasing in your brain, at least. Uh, so, um, so that's what that's why I think it's a little bit messy. Yeah, so I, I may have, I may have um, run into your number five there. Um, that's okay Um, so my number five uh, is Gloom of Kilforth oh yes yes and um, I really love that game you know the story building in there is fantastic the reason why I think it's messy is well um, if you've never played Gloom of Kilforth it's basically RPG in card formats almost everything in this RPG is on the cards. Your characters, your objectives, your weapons, your spells, even the map of the world is on the cards. And it can be a little bit messy to set up because obviously you have to sort up for the decks. Um, A little bit of understanding of how the game works can help you setting up more quickly. This is one of those where I think you go away from it for um, a period of time and you come back and you kind of have to have a refresher. You're like, what does that do? What does that mean? How does that go together? And that fits back into your setup and sort of a deck and arranging all of that and picking your character race and character class and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But I think it's also a little bit messy on the rule front um, because as an RPG that's trying to do a lot and it's got this uh interesting card set up um it has all these tiny terms that they they're not the terms you're not familiar with you you would know them but they rename them in their own certain way and so every time you have to kind of refer back to like what does that mean okay that means like that's a free action oh that means i have to like have this card in my hand oh this means that card has been played like they they have written in a game's own language that once you get into it you're there but there is a stage before you get into it <laughs> yeah yeah it's um and i think i think these ones these these games where you're you said the card based games where you you're because you actually travel in in, in gloom uh yes. you you flip a card and then you move to that location don't you yeah. Uh, unless there's a, I, I think you might have events that you have to do before you can do that and stuff like that. But. So you've got your tableau of cards that are laid out, which mm-hmm. are these locations around the Kilforth. And you travel through location to location, uh, you know, your normal orthogonal movement. Um, and as you go there, that's as you travel to a new place, that's when the event happens, which is a combat encounter, an event, 
um, a stranger, all those kinds of things that you will end up uh, having to resolve. But the trick about them that um, they're actually gloom is taking over this mystical dark force and it actually turns over and flips over those uh, location cards and makes them more dangerous and more unfriendly for you to be in. Almost, um, you know, um, imagine uh, Forbidden Island, how you've turned over the sunken tiles and they become sunken and accessible. Well, here in Gloom, they are accessible, but they're much more dangerous and you kind of would want to be stuck on them. And as you build this tableau up, you do end up having, you know, some of the monsters you want immediately defeat, so they stay on the cards, and then you'll add more events, and it kind of sort of becomes building. And there is a tend- there's kind of a danger that you know one accidental swoosh of a hand just sends yes. the whole board in disar- board in disarray, <laughs> and all the cards get messed up. <laughs> I mean, that, that is the like the uh, the primary fear of card based worlds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's bad like, enough in time stories, you know, nudging your tableau or whatever there. But um <laughs> but this is a whole world. Yeah, it's like careful. I mean, don't breathe is a bit of exaggeration, <laughs> but like try not to mess up the card layout a bit too much. <laughs> uh, it's important to say that that uh we like this game. We do. <laughs> I really like I really like it. And here's the thing you know, it's a really testament to the game that as as much as I can nitpick, um, you know, its terminology and the the amount of decks and cards to sort through, I'm doing it. Yeah. Like I'm right there. You you come to me as like you want to play Gloom of Killform. I'm like, hang on, I'm laying down the table. I'm setting this whole thing up. Like I'm still doing it. <laughs> it's yeah. Maybe we'll do that with each of them. We'll uh, we'll come to the point at the end after explaining why it's such a such a mess uh, to explain <laughs> why why it's a hot mess. Uh, uh, should we should we do number four? Yes, uh, number four is a controversial one because I think you really didn't like it, and I quite like it, but it's like a guilty pleasure like it. <laughs> so it's called Fujikoro. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so I, I bounced really hard off this. Um, would you like to explain what it is first? <laughs> so, if we can. Fujikoro. Hmm. How, how would you explain Fujikoro? So, uh, your shogun heroes stuck in an imminently erupting volcano. You are traveling through this volcano, mining for resources, uh, making your sandals and helmets and armor. Uh, finding monks that are also randomly wandering through uh, the crater of the volcano. And dragons, because of course there are dragons. Because you want to fight those dragons to make your sandals shinier sandals. And at some point throughout the game, the volcano will finally decide, well, it's time to erupt now, enough of the monks and the dragons. And then you have to escape it. And that's Fujikoro. (laughs) And when you say that, that sounds like one of the one of the best games. Uh, that sounds that sounds fabulous, and I I, I wish that's what the game was. Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, t- 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 tell us why it's a mess for you, and then, and then I'll do a small re- reprieve on uh, my my concerns. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, it's. Um... I think the, this this is the case of one of those games that look beautiful in your Kickstarter screen, and once you get them and you open the box, you initially excited, and then you think, why? Because there's a lot <laughs> of things in here where you think, oh, why? Um, so your volcano is built out of this 
beautiful ornate tiles that um supposed to clip into each other and the way you started you started by building a border and your border is essentially your scoring track and then you start with the center which you kind of position you're like okay that that kind of feels right and then you build the free circles of the styles except what you end up you kind of end up wandering usually in one way and you build it and you fix it to the border and you're like yes all good and it looks beautiful and just let me reiterate this the tiles they look beautiful it does look um, great Yes. And then you wander to the other side because you still you're still trying to explore this volcano that maybe there is like a really scary dragon on that side and you're like, nah, I'm backing away, backing away, or you still haven't found the rope that gets you out of the volcano because ropes a volcano that's getting hot and on fire. Yes. It's just sense. a I think okay. it's just a really good rope. Yeah, it's a really it's a magical rope. Um, anyway, so you're wandering to the other side of this volcano and you're trying to fit the tiles in and it's and it's becoming kind of tight and it's kind of fitting, but it's not. And then you kind of get to the other side of this board and things stop fitting. And then it becomes a little bit rage inducing because it looks so beautiful and it's designed to fit so perfectly and it just doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that that's probably exactly my problems with it in terms of not not just the, the just that last sentence of it's been designed to fit perfectly and it doesn't you know just like there's so much design in it so many ideas in it and if they'd picked maybe half of them <laughs> um, we, we would have had like a really good game um, yeah. it's I think in your review you um, you highlighted one of my major design or product design frustrations of it, which is the lovely pagoda template thing. Oh yes. Which um, we set them up, and we were like, "Yeah, these are really important." Yeah, so you know, because you're doing the sort of poking things out thing, um, and then you set them up, and then you you realise what they are for. Um, as you said in your review, is to hold the sum total of two cards. Yep. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> look, and again, it's it's beautiful. Because it's adds this 3D element to the board and they're on all the sides and it's kind of like all this atmospheric thing. But then, you know, you have to pop them out of the cardboard. You have to assemble them. They assemble okay, but the pieces kind of slide sometimes a little bit. If you, and you're kind of like trying to put it very gently back into the box so, you know, it doesn't fall apart. And then, you know, and then you think, oh, what was that for? Okay. Well, two cards. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was complete madness. That's, that's how I describe it. Uh, <laughs> of it. Um, but for me, the whole thing was a mess in a, in a not so good way as well because of the crafting element, um, mm. which is um, suddenly we're playing Minecraft, uh, yeah. which is, I guess, fine. Um, I guess it's a kind of universal language for crafting now. Um, I think it, that was it was actually pretty straightforward, but I. Don't know why that was needed <laughs> at all. I don't know why I needed to um, place the blocks in a certain shape. Yes. Well, um, I think if I'm trying to find the reasons that make sense to me why this is needed is because I think the combat in this game in Fujikoro is pretty simple. It's roll a bunch of dice, you get a hit, uh, you get a hit, and stuff like that. So they needed to make... Um, they needed to make the system of the combat slightly more interesting and also actually give you insight to go fight those dragons and kill those things. 
And for that, you have to make your weapons with shiny dragon teeth that make you stronger and give you more defensible abilities. And to do, and I guess the easiest way to do that was to imagine them as cubes that you could arrange in certain ways to make that sword. And, you know, if the sword is breaks... Um, and think of those arrangements in case the, the sword breaks. Like, if I, if I go into the fight and I dealt a certain amount of damage and I have to get rid of the cube there, does that break my sword? Is it still a viable, viable weapon after all? So that's kind of like the trickle situation of thinking, you know, um, do I have right now... Is not only my equipment good enough for, for the fight, but also have I made this weapon... Um, so that I can continue the fight if I get unlucky in this dice roll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it, you know it, that's that's a, that's a good defense of it, uh, but still, <laughs> I <laughs> I, I bounced pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you love it, and, and why I do you? Because of the thing that I think we said at the beginning, it's just really silly and really fun. You know, there's a mechanic where you um, can distract a dragon by throwing a monk at them. So you find in this poor monk, so they're doing something in the middle of the crater of Volcano, and then once you find them, you see the dragon, you're like, right, fella, you run there, please, and <laughs> shout very loudly. So he turns around that way, and while you're running there and shouting, I'm going to try to stab him with a sword at the back. <laughs> I don't know. Just to me, there's just something kind of hilarious about this whole thing, and, you know, the game completely taking itself not seriously, and... You think it's complicated, but it's actually really, really, really not. You know, we've been talking about, our, you know, making, crafting these weapons. Sounds complicated, but it's not. Combat is just rolling the dice. Um, you know, you go around, you explore, you build this map. The monks. It, it kind of gets you into this whole spirit of this whole silliness. So you just keep imagining this crazy scenarios. And, you, and I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with yeah. this I mean, you, monks and dragons. Yeah, you, uh, that story has kind of convinced me it, it can't be too bad, can it? <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> a case for Fujikoro. Yeah, a case for, absolutely, yes. That's the, the title of the episode, yeah. <laughs> cool. Shall we move on to number three? Okay, so uh, number three uh, will be Eldritor. And I think uh, the reason for that, in, in many senses, I think is the same, it's the same as Gloom of Kilforth. Um, just a lot of cards, a lot of decks to set, to sort through. Um, as many times as I've played this game, every single time, the daunting task of sorting all the cards was designated to a player who played it the most, because they immediately knew <laughs> this goes into that stack, uh, this ancient needs these cards and these things, and we need to, like, these are the proportions of the bad event things that need to go in there. And it takes up a lot of space. That's one of the games that you think, oh, it's just cards. It's just the board and cards. Well. <laughs> Why is it good? Gosh, uh, it's really tough cooperative game. Let's start with that. It's got this whole um, Cthulhu detective aspect. So for anyone who's not played um, the, the monsters, there's this mysterious gate that's popping up everywhere in the world and they're spewing monsters. And you're investigating the series of events bad bad events happening and they trigger certain things and uh once some specific things that will depend on the type of game you play or the type of ancient you choose uh the ancient will spawn and this is a big monster that's hard to kill and i it 
the investigators go around different places around the globe. You have this big world map and uh, you do, the, you know, the checks depending on your stats. So some might be good at, you know, at your combat, at your investigation, wits, whatever. Um, and there were role checks based on that. And um, that will make decisions and progression for the story and give them either abilities or disadvantages or injuries and all that kind of stuff. And that the world is just fascinating in many ways and really addictive and you get really atmospheric straight away and you know all the events might be very kind of condensed separate stories or rather not even stories just scenarios but it gives you a really good feel you know of you being in that world and all these creepy things are happening and the ticking clock of the time running out and you're like you need to get this done or bad things will happen you know that kind of thing I think there's um, a, a really important point you make there, um, you made at the start there, particularly of uh, a hard co-op game. Yes. I think uh, I think you've written about this before. I know, but um, the, yeah, the idea that um, co-op games should be as brutal as possible, basically. They, uh, I definitely think there is. They, the the hardness of cooperative games, I think, is what what unites us. It shouldn't be impossible, but it definitely you know, should be hard. They should push you to work together, to think together. They should, the players, it's not just about players not playing against each other. It's about players truly cooperating and kind of, you know, thinking, okay, well, I'm good at this. Not just even as a player, but as a person. And I'm good at this. How do we merge both the things we are good together and show this game what we can do, basically. And Elder Scrolls is for sure, I think, you know, anyone's, unless you're a genius, and then, you know, my I, hands down to you, um, that you're going to play many, 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 many games before you secure your first win. <laughs> that's, and that's ideal. I mean, is that true of all these games, actually? That they're, they're games that are going to kill you halfway through at some point? Well, all of these on the list. Yeah. And maybe not, actually. Maybe not. Fujikoro probably didn't kill you the first time. No. No, no it, doesn't, it doesn't start killing you... Uh, until the latter part of the game. So Fujikor is divided in two parts. Uh, the first one is your exploration, throw the monks, fight the dragons part. And when players reach victory po- a certain amount of victory points, which I believe is 30, um, that's when the volcano erupts, and that's when you can die if you sort of get stuck there for um, in, the, in the crater for a very long time. But yes, all the other ones, I think, on the list can and will kill you. That's great. That's what we, that's what we come to these games for. <laughs> so, in part, exactly. We come for the hot mess and we come for um, violent death. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so number two. Uh, number two... Uh, it's Robinson Crusoe. Uh, and uh, again, I love that game. Uh, I think it's one of the best uh, games that takes a theme and puts it to mechanics and creates a board game. Um, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I've never, I don't think I've played many other games that uh, the where theme worked so well as in Robinson Crusoe. But um, it is also, it's, got uh, quite a bit of setup it comes with all you know with all the different components in this case you've got cards and board and dice and characters and little tokens you know your uh, bananas and your bread and your furs um, (laughs) go there and all the kind of stuff and then of course you've got you know different campaigns um, that you have to set up for and 
Robinson Crusoe speaking of a cooperative game that is hard, it is It is also really hard. I've had situations where we spent half an hour setting it up and then we died within three turns and <laughs> we went like, well, now what? <laughs> and, you know, that's an actual thing that, that happened. But um, it's, again, it's, it's, it's one of those I, I, I really I feel like, you know, this is the one to leave on the table and have a couple of goes. Taking the literal story of Robinson Crusoe and dumping you on the island and be like, well, survive now and we're going to throw all these bad stuff at you. You're running out of food, the animals are attacking you, uh, there are locals that are not friendly uh, and all these weather conditions that are, that are bad. And, you know, I've already named so many different elements to the game that components have to account for. Yes. <laughs> and yes, they work fantastically together, but they will take time to set up and then um, they will take time a little bit to to learn as well but um, in this case I don't I from a memory the rule book is actually okay yes but, well, that's, that's a good sense isn't it to a yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a, gen, a gentle rule book um, a gentle okay. <laughs> uh, cool and shall, shall we do your number one Yes, I don't have a I don't have a drum roll, but maybe we'll put one in later. I th I think number one. I would be surprised if it's not a lot of people's number one, and we've already kind of talked about it. But it's mm. Gloomhaven, because gosh, I love that game. But every time I think of setting it up, uh, I get a little bit shaky in the knees. <laughs> and it and it's funny because I I think in my campaign we've replaced most of the things with with the apps because they're like the number one thing that we replaced with the apps is the enemy combat because you've got enemy decks and they all deal different kind of damage and that was that that just stopped the game right straight away especially for new people and i remember when the first time i played it that's kind of i glazed started glazing over a little bit because i got so excited which was a character we went into the dungeon and then you know we had to fight and there was all the turning of the cards and distribution of the tokens and i you know and combat in gloomhaven is fantastic the card combat but um the actual enemies can slow it down a bit. And as, as soon as we replaced it with an app and, you know, took a good chunk of cards and tokens out of the box and put them into storage because we weren't using them because we were using the app, um, the experience, it was it was a much better experience. Yeah, I think I think that's... Um, I remember watching the, um, the PAX Unplugged reveal for um, Frosthaven. Mm -hmm. um, I yeah. think someone in that... I think that's right. But they they asked whether they'd do, they'd be doing an app as well, and it's it's one of those things where people were really so invested in this game and, and now a series of games that they mm -hmm. they it's, it almost feels like a weird question like are you going to do the app for it? Will there be removable stickers? These que these sort of questions, um, which I think are probably legitimate questions, but they are things that just show how uh, people are like already pre-editing this huge game, this huge experience. <laughs> it was in their heads, they were already saying, I know this is going to be hard. This is, yeah, this is, this yeah. is something that's going to take over my life. And I, when I spoke to him about Frosthaven, um, I spoke to Isaac about um, Frosthaven, um, mm -hmm. he said that uh, his, um, his, his hope for the game was that um, uh, it would be slightly less successful than Gloomhaven, uh, which seems unlikely actually at this point, looking, looking at the... <laughs> well... What it, it's definitely the biggest board game Kickstarter, but I think it's also like in the top five of the biggest Kickstarters ever, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like it's, it's just become huge. I don't want to mess up my numbers, but it's but, but it's yeah. out there. It's, 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 not it's twelve million plus, isn't it? It's yeah, something gigantic. crazy. 
and uh, and we had this conversation right at the end of the interview of what he hoped, he hoped for the game and uh, slightly slightly less successfully hoped and then also that um, it would do the same thing which is um, the the complaint compliment he gets the most of uh, you've taken over my dining table for months uh, and it's just <laughs> it's so bizarre to have that as like that would be like an okay outcome. For a, for a game, mm-hmm. imagine a game designer, you know, <laughs> telling you that they just like to take over your your table for for months on end. <laughs> uh, it's just absolutely wild. But yes, it, it does it does take over people's lives very yeah. much, and and there is a lot to it. Yeah. Well, I remember um, one of the first instances is even before I played it. I saw uh, a group uh, in a board game bar. Um, group of people were playing Gloomhaven, and they specifically brought just stuff for that campaign they didn't bother bringing you know the whole box it was too big there was just too much so they packed everything they needed for that scenario brought it there left it on the table and and to me I, I don't know it's um kind of like a maybe it's a weird board gaming thing but i almost get like a little worry taking components out of the box and putting them somewhere else i'm like no what if i lose them what if that board game is not complete like i can't i I was getting nervous you telling that story i I mean even going there to do it i can't imagine myself doing that for a start i would just bring the whole box and um deal with the the the, um back pain in later life just the idea of going out publicly to play a game like that and bringing and not bringing everything and being sure that i've got everything (laughs) It's like yeah. I would. Get, there's no way I'd, I'd not forget something. And then yes, it's, oh, it's pro planning. It's pro well, planning. I mean, these these people are either um, you know uh, nutters or yes, uh, are very controllable. There, great inventory management. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that's 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 a terrifying idea <laughs> of bringing parts of a game only. Oh. But yes, it's probably just an insight into maybe maybe why we like these games full of yeah. um, so much stuff is we want to put it all back in the box <laughs> in some way. Yep, and keep it extremely yes. tidy. Never break everything, sleeve everything. Okay, but that might be, you know, my OCD <laughs> speaking up, I'm gonna. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sadly not someone who uses card sleeves, so I'm, I may be a heathen. Try to, <laughs> uh, try to with most things. But then you realize, and that's uh, slightly off tangent, but kind of relevant, you realize that a lot of these uh, beautiful games with beautiful box inserts are not actually designed for when their cards are sleeved. And then suddenly they don't fit in the inserts, and suddenly you wanted to make something tidier, but you made more of a mess, and then that's a whole different kind of board gaming problem. That was my, my most recent uh, cardboard manifesto was on, uh, please, please make tidy boxes. That was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is yes, the smallest hill on which to die, uh, but um, somehow important to me. <laughs> uh, that's lovely, great. Um, so, messy games are they good? I think so. I think I think we, if this list is any indication, um, it's number. Well, firstly, they're all great games, even though you might disagree on my number four, but I might may have turned you around. Uh, we'll see. Um, but they're all great games, and they're all games that we keep coming back to. And, you know, and all of these old titles that everyone's speaking about, and, you know, immediately... Actually, if you think about it, I don't think if I give you the title of every single game, the first thing you will say is, oh, components. Like, I think with Gloomhaven, the first thing you'll say, 
either characters or the combat. Robinson Crusoe, you'll say, oh my god, like, survival on the island, tough board game. Eldritch Horror, also same thing, you know, all the detectives and Cthulhu. Uh, Fujikoro, monks and dragons. I'm starting this one. And uh, Gloom of Killforth, you'll be like, this beautiful artwork on these cards. But the components, the messiness of components doesn't come to the forefront. But I do think it's there, and I do think um, it's important. But the one important thing it, it is, you know, we'll nitpick it, we will point it out. It may cause us minor frustrations from time to time, but it doesn't stop loving us. It doesn't stop us loving these games, and it doesn't stop us playing yeah. these games. I think, yeah, I think that's that's the thing to come away with, really. But um, these these are the games we love, uh, maybe because they're a little bit messy as well, as in spite of it. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. Would you Would you like to plug anything? My plug uh, generally is I would appreciate if you read my stuff in Tabletop Gaming. I love writing it, and I hope people enjoy reading it. Um, and if you'd like to follow my very occasional rare tweets, uh, I'm at DustyTulip underscore on Twitter. And that's about it. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Our intro music is... Cloud Meetings by Body in the Thames, which you can find at bodyinthethames.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can find us on tabletopgaming.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at tabletopmag, uh, on Facebook as Tabletop Gaming Magazine. You can find us on Instagram at tabletop underscore gaming underscore magazine. And we've just launched a Twitch channel, which you can find at twitch.tv forward slash tabletopgamingmag. If you like the show, recommend it to a friend or subscribe to the magazine, which you can do on our website.